Hello, First Baptist Church Keller family. This is uh, Tyler Sulfridge with you today. Thank you guys for tuning in to our Sunday School lesson for this week. And I just wanted to take a moment to introduce myself. I'm a student ministry associate here at the church, and I've been on the job for all of two weeks at the time of recording this lesson. But I have uh, been at the church here uh, for two years in August. I began my service as Pastor Keith's apprentice and had a blast learning from him and watching our uh, staff minister together. So when the opportunity uh, to move to another role became available, I was really excited and pleased to step into it to continue to uh, serve uh, this church body and, and to be a part of this church is really a blessing. But I know that uh, this time has been very challenging, a uh, time for all of us on seemingly every level, emotionally, physically for some of us, and certainly spiritually. God's people have been challenged and stretched in ways that I don't think any of us could have foreseen even a few months ago. But what I've found solace in during this COVID pandemic, and not even just solace, but courage in, is the fact that our Lord is still sovereign. He is still in control. Jesus is still making intercession on our behalf. And the Spirit is still giving new life to those that would believe. And this is exactly what we find in the passage that we're going to walk through together today. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 11. The main thought to keep in mind as we learn today is the sovereign Lord is ruling and reigning over the earth and in the hearts and lives of his people. So let me read this passage for us first. Proverbs 16, 1 says this, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. This is the word of the Lord. And we see God's complete control over all people and all things is on display in these few verses, especially the blessings that believers have for submitting to God and His sovereignty and the curse that stands for those that do not believe. The outline of this passage is really easy to follow then. In verses 1 through 3, we see the sovereign's supervision. In verses 4 and 5, the sovereign's sentence is made clear. In verses 6 through 8, the sovereign's satisfaction is displayed. And finally, we will see in verses 9 through 11, the sovereign's scales, that is his judgment. When we watch the news and we see things about Great Britain and other countries like this, when we obviously see the Queen of England, one of the titles bestowed upon her in the monarchy is the sovereign. This speaks to the traditional role of a king or queen throughout history and their total control. They are the unrivaled head of state. 
And I think at times this is how people can view their own life, that they are in complete control of what takes place in it. After all, the poet Henley once summarized this thought in saying, I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my soul. And Thoreau said it similarly. He said, it is what a man thinks of himself that really determines his fate. And that all sounds well and good. The only problem with it is that we run into the Bible. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In the passage that we just read, though, we get a rightly elevated view of God and a humbling view of humanity. And again, what a timely truth. This is why we will continually interject and focus on God's sovereignty, as you could see in the outline. So let's examine these verses together. First, the sovereign's supervision. The plans of the heart belong to man, Solomon begins to write. So right out of the gate, we do see that humans have some sort of what we call a will or free will. This is unquestionable. We plan things. We make decisions. We use resources that are at our disposal. And these plans, these decisions that we make, Solomon says, they belong to us. This notes ownership. These are things that are within our grasp to show possession. These plans come from our own desires, though. This proverb says they are conceived, they are held and hatched in our own hearts. This is what many of your teenagers are being told, as a matter of fact, about their own lives and major decisions that they make, that they should follow their heart. You guys have heard this. But the prophet Jeremiah addresses the heart, and he pulls no punches when he does, saying this, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts, the place where our plans take root, is deceitful. It is sick. Some versions even say wicked and not understandable. But does this mean that we never plan, though? No, of course not. We can plan things, and we should plan things. But we must always have our plans and the entirety of our lives under subjection to God. At the beginning of 2020, Pastor Keith introduced uh, to our church a new phrase. In Latin, it says this, Dio valente, that is, God willing, or if the Lord wills. Many of us have had uh, all sorts of plans at the beginning of this new decade, 2020, even things that we actually thought were good. Our church had plans to break ground on some building projects. We had mission trip planned mission trips planned all around the world and churches that we thought were to be planted through through our church. On a personal level, there were moves that were going to be made, weddings to celebrate and job promotions that were seemingly inevitable. But God overrides many of our plans with a single word or sometimes some dramatic measure. But, but specifically, we see in this the Lord overriding things that we plan or even affirming things with just a single word. Look at what he says in the rest of this verse. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. I heard a prominent theologian say, quote, The Bible teaches both that God is in complete control and that we make real choices that really matter and for which we are accountable. 
This puts into perspective our limited and human nature with God's all-powerful divine nature. So how do we, finite, fallen, and sinful humans, live in harmony with a sovereign God? First, by submitting our lives to His Lordship, that is through saving faith that uh, redeems us and reconciles us to God. And secondly, by submitting our wills, our whole lives, to His Lordship. Verse 3 tells us what this life could look like, potentially. He says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. This is actually the very first verse that I committed to memory when I felt and understood the Lord's calling me to full-time Christian ministry. I decided then that whatever I did for the Lord and whatever uh, it was or wherever it would be, no matter how vital it seemed to the kingdom or if it seemed in some way inconsequential, I was going to aim my work as being completely for the Lord. When I felt called to ministry, I was in high school, though, and I had all sorts of plans and dreams for ministry, none of which have come true, and many I really probably don't even remember. Planting churches in Alaskan villages certainly wasn't on my radar. Connecting with First Baptist Keller I never saw coming. I say that to say this, as we commit our lives and our work to the Lord, He changes our hearts, He changes our desires. And our plans become His plans. His work becomes our work, and serving Him becomes all we desire to do. Life lived in communion with our Lord is eternally more valuable than one lived in opposition to Him. And that is what we see in this next portion of Scripture, the consequences of a life not submitted to God. Verses 4 and 5 tell us of the sovereign's sentence. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. In the first line of verse 4, we are reminded of our main point. The Lord is ruling and reigning over the earth, even over those individuals that have not submitted to him. In these two verses, we are taken all the way back to the created order in Genesis. God created all things, and in light of the evil in creation, we must remember the state of things when God originally created them. And Genesis 1.31 tells us the state of things. It says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. However, because of the schemes of Satan and the sinfulness of our first parents, Adam and Eve, sin and wickedness entered the world. And here's where we find a characteristic of God that I hope we don't look over too quickly. God is just. Now, when we talk about the attributes of God, we must understand that God is constantly and eternally acting consistently with His whole character. So we love to hear people say that God is love, and that is certainly one aspect of who He is. But God is also just, and that means He is eternally purposing things to bring about the destruction of Satan, sin, and all those that would partner against Himself. This is what this passage is telling us. The wicked, the unbelieving, the sinful, and the arrogant will have their day before the just judge, and He will. As Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17 and James chapter 2 tell us, he will judge with no partiality. 
Therefore, Christian brothers and sisters, it is good that we remind ourselves and each other that God is still ruling and reigning even over the creation that has rebelled against Him. If we need a perfect picture of God using wickedness meant against Him for good, we need to look no further than the cross on which our Savior died. Jesus died at the hands of wicked men, all the while thinking they were thwarting the plans of God, yet he had other and superseding plans. Danny Aiken of Southeastern Seminary wrote these words, quote, Without the sovereignty of God, there is no way to say that there will be no more tears, no more sickness, pain, sorrow, or death. End quote. So brothers and sisters, we should be very thankful and we should hold on to the truth that we see in the scriptures that the Lord is sovereign. A contrast is seen in verses 6 through 8 as the sovereign's satisfaction is on display. If we want to truly understand ourselves, it isn't that we need to look within. Actually, we need to look to God. And we will see that we if we are Christians, we're in the exact same state as the group of people that we just mentioned. Romans tells us that we were once enemies of God. 1 John states that those who practice sin are of the devil. Ephesians tells us that we were once darkened in our, in our understanding and alienated from God and, of course, dead in our sin. This characterized every person at one point or another, but the verses that we now turn our attention to, 6 through 8, speak of the reconciliation that God has brought about. Hear them again. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. We discussed the character of God uh, as being just, but that justice doesn't only lead to punishment of sin. In this passage, we see that God's justice leads to the atonement for sin. In the same way that those who live and die in their sin will stand before the judge, so will those who have ran to Jesus for refuge. But we will stand before the just judge, and he will declare us not guilty. But it's important that we understand that even though he declares us not guilty doesn't mean that we have never sinned. The fact that he's having to declare us not guilty means that we have in some way broken the law. But this is the tremendous truth of the gospel, that the Lord Jesus took the entirety of our sin upon himself, was punished and died in order to atone for them because we could never have atoned for all of our sins. Therefore, we can repent and believe in him and have his righteousness given to us that we may stand before God and hear those words, not guilty. The gospel and our salvation, though, aren't just some sort of insurance plan that gets us out of trouble. They are the guide for the rest of our life. We most certainly are saved from something, that is, God's wrath, but we are also saved to something, that is, God's satisfaction. And what I mean by that is the same fear of the Lord that leads us to faith and repentance should lead us for the rest of our lives to turn away from evil, to flee from sin. We are called to seek justice, to love mercy, and especially in light of God's sovereignty and our humility, to walk humbly before our God. 
Now, considering verse 7, I would say that we need to remember that this is a proverb, not a book full of guaranteed promises. Proverbs as a whole is all about wisdom and living with right understanding of God and His providence in every aspect of life. Just as Proverbs 22 will tell us, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This isn't a guarantee. It isn't a promise that our children will walk with the Lord all the days of our life. But if we are diligent about bringing up uh, children in the things of God, it is much more likely that they will walk with the Lord than if we have a general disregard for their spiritual life. In the same way, God certainly isn't promising peace with all people in verse 7. Many of you know just from your own personal experiences that this isn't always the case. But Paul will tell us in Romans, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. So regardless, though, of peace, regardless of circumstances, and regardless of finances, as verse 8 touches on, it will be better for the Christian to pursue righteousness in complete submission to God's sovereignty than anything else we might gain here on earth. And then finally, in verses 9 through 11, we see the sovereign's scales. Let me read those three verses for you one more time. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. Verse 9 harkens back and restates what was said in verse 1, that humans... Christians and unbelievers alike have the ability to make real and meaningful decisions, but those are all dependent on God in His power. With just a word, the Lord can affirm our plans, and with just a word, the Lord can thwart the best and the worst of intentions. We must remember, though, that God is working these things out ultimately for His glory, and as Paul puts it, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We can trust the God that holds the plans of man and Satan within His hand. This should cause us not to be discouraged when plans uh, that we have don't work out. After all, we don't see the end from the beginning. We are presented the final truth here that should bring us clear understanding with regards to the intentions of our heart. And it's something that Pastor Keith reminds me and other interns of often. That is, God keeps the score. Look at verse 11 one more time. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are His work. The scales that are referred to remind us of a day in which weights and balances were used. There was a scale that had two identical plates on either side. The two plates would be loaded, and on one side of the scale were carefully measured and exact weights. On the other side, unknown weights or something of a monetary value is added until the scales become balanced. A perfectly uh, balanced scale is called just that. It's called a perfect scale. So verse 11 is telling us that a true and perfect balance comes only from the Lord. When humans weigh or judge things, we often tilt the scales in our favor. Perhaps we do so by comparing ourselves to others or even to an older version of ourselves. 
All of us come to the realization, though, that when we are compared to the perfect and holy God, we don't ever begin to even tilt the scales back to our side or in our favor. Therefore, we know that the scales that are the Lord's are perfect, and they are just, and they are right. So what does this have to do with the fact that the Lord is ruling and reigning over all the earth and in the hearts and lives of His people? It means that we can trust God without reservation. He will always do what is right. When we're making our plans and when our hearts begin to desire something, it is vital that we test those things and bring them under submission to God's authority, to His rule, and to His word. For He is just and He will always act consistently with His whole character. And listen to the words of this hymn, and I'm not going to read them uh, for you for fear of ruining our time together, but this is a hymn that I thought of while um, studying this passage. And it says this, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. So whether our plans work out the exact way we conceived or never come to fruition at all, if we are in Christ, we are forever able to give this testimony that he has made it well with our soul. So church, during this uh, time of of crisis during this time of great unknowns. It's uh, my prayer that all of you guys would uh, find solace in these truths that we have uh, looked at together today, that the Lord is in fact sovereign and that He is in control and we can trust Him without reservation, completely and wholly with every plan, with every desire that we have in our lives. So with that, I will pray for us and we'll be dismissed. But thank you guys again for listening this week. Father, we thank you uh, for the time together. We thank you for the technology that, um, that you've given us and the ability, Lord, uh, that we have to still be connected with you during this time and, and also with each other. Father, we thank you uh, for guys like Rob and Gregory and Yvette who have worked so diligently on the technological side of things, Lord, things that uh, not all of us are gifted in, uh, but you've certainly given them good gifts and uh, the fact that they are using those gifts for your glory, Lord, we thank you for that. But uh, Lord, I just pray during this time that we would uh, trust you uh, without reservation with everything in our lives, Lord, from relationships to um, things that deal with our personal finances and even our own health, Lord, knowing that we can't add or take away to a day that you haven't already numbered for us. And so, Father, we know that you are sovereign. And we know that we, Lord, are finite, that we are sinful people. But, Lord, that is why we run to you for refuge, why we run to you for uh, our strength. And, Lord, why we come to your son, Jesus, and ask forgiveness so that your righteousness may be given to us, Lord, so that we may stand before you one day and hear those words, not guilty. But we know that we uh, hear those now, Lord, and, and, and that is the way we are reconciled with you, the way we get to live with you every day. And so, Lord, I pray that even during this time, we would take seriously the fact that we get to walk with uh, the God of the universe, the only God, 
and that he uh, hears our prayers, that he understands our hearts and, uh, and knows us better than we know ourselves. So Father, let us walk closely with you during this season, that we would do that uh, for your glory and uh, for the obedience uh, that we have as a church body and for that um, great responsibility we have in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.